so yeah, I mean, that's actually, I feel like a great segue as well. Is there any shows that you're excited for in the fall? Because I feel like this happens a lot at the barbershop. Like, things like Power, Game of Thrones, or Ballers, you know, shows like that. Um, yeah, great segue to, uh, I know uh, one great show. Uh-oh. Um, on Hulu. The Wu-Tang. You know what's crazy? And I was going to say great segue to our pop culture podcast. Um, and I'm going to let John talk about it. But I, I have, I love that show. I'm obsessed with that show. And I'm just going to introduce it, John. I'm not let you get into it. But um, the Wu-Tang show. And I want to talk about it, introduce it. Because when you first think about it, you think it's, you know, Wu-Tang, um, Cream, making albums, going on tour because of Wu-Tang show. But they started this show way before they even had any deal. And they started in Staten Island. Origin story, nice. Origin story. It's the, I'm going to put a spoiler alert. <laughs> and actually, pause for a second. I was told that even though uh, Game of Thrones and Avengers ended in April and May, we should have put a spoiler alert on our last podcast. So... I'm going to put a spoiler alert. That's ridiculous. I know. It was preposterous. I'm going to use all the bougie words that I know. Are you serious? I would tell them that, yes. Also, again, personal responsibility. If you hear something that you don't want to spoiler on, hit pause or hit fast forward. I agree with that, too. 100%. And I'm like, it was five months ago. What do you like? But I, I, I was told that. So, Wu-Tang, spoiler alert. But they start this show back in early Staten Island before they had the deal and just to see how the relationships develop um, and um, and some of the core members of Wu-Tang and where they go with it. And it's great storytelling, um, phenomenal direction. I think the writing is good. Who, who, I, who wrote it, do you know? Um, I don't know who was actually the writer of the show. I know RZA. Um, I know RZA is the, the mastermind of the show nice. as far as the writing I'm not really too sure on who, who wrote it but as far as the ideal and the push I know RZA is like one of the key factors and then there's uh, there's someone else um, I don't remember her name but she's also has a play a major factor into it as well right RZA was the mastermind he's the one who brought it to um, the, 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 the studios and the TV stations and Hulu and he was a big influence on the casting he picked all the people to play the people right. he got the um, the approval from the other Wu-Tang members as well um, the story kind of centers around RZA his household um, it shows him his brother and his sister in real life his mom had like nine kids actually but they only put like a few in the show <laughs> because it's a TV show right uh, actually, him, two brothers and a sister. His older brother, Divine, um, is in the show, who actually was Wu-Tang's manager um, from um, their first album through about 2000. Um, his name is actually Divine. And um, the guy that got to play him is really good, a former drug dealer term manager who's Riz's blood brother. Um, and it shows uh, their relationship with... Um, uh, Ghostface, Dennis, who's from the same area in Staten Island as them, Stapleton. But then you got uh, Raekwon and Meth 
who were from Park Hill. Right. And those two projects and parts of Staten Island were known to notoriously uh, beef with each other. However, Raekwon and Riza went to elementary school together. So they were always friends. Interesting. Even after they moved to different parts of Staten Island. Right. <clears throat> so, I'm turning after I say this to, to John. So, the very first scene in the show, once again, spoiler alert, <laughs> is... Um, Ghostface, no, I'm sorry, Raekwon shooting up Ghostface's house. Literally. <laughs> and that's the very first scene in the entire show. And from there, you're like, they're like best friends. How did this happen? But these are all like true events. So, go ahead, John. I just think really with the Wu-Tang America Saga story, which is on Hulu on every Wednesday. I don't, I'm not part of the show, but I just think it's really that great. Wu Wednesdays. Uh, and I just think from, as Mike was saying, uh, just the idea of what the story is and what they have to offer and the imagery that they show and the battles that they had to go through just to get to where they were, it's just it's, it's phenomenal in the sense of this. Like, a lot of the stuff could be was fabricated, but a lot of the stuff wasn't. And you just look at what's going on and, and how they were able to just grow up together and RZA really putting everyone together and really pushing everyone to rap because a lot of them were in the streets or didn't really believe the ideal of being a rapper was going to get them money. They were just stuck in their environment where they had to hustle or get a job and that was it. And with RZA, of how passionate he was about the music and producing his own his his own beats and eventually producing for the others, the other members of Wu Tang. I just think it really, it really gives an idea of what the American dream is in a sense of where you, if you're willing to work hard for something, you can accomplish it as long as you just don't give up and as long as you're willing to believe that you're willing and able to accomplish it, you can make it. And just by looking at this story, you can really, it kind of gives you an idea, even though it might be something that you may have never experienced, you can also, you can actually fall in love with the idea of how passionate this particular person was and how his idea or his beliefs managed to grow these these group of men who were very hesitant, very, very hesitant into joining this particular group and really sway them towards the end and create this mega group where they had their trial and error and where they were able to amass a large following off of their fascination of watching, um, what is it called? Uh, <clears throat> the um, Kung Fu movies, I'm sorry, I couldn't think. Kung Fu movies and how they used that and used the Wu-Tang from that and then the yellow and the bumblebee and putting all that into their swagger and into their music, into their lyricism. It's just an all-around great show to watch. And I feel like anyone who has any idea of passion or music or just wanting something different or action in that sense, it's just something that hits all all pieces and that can definitely entertain any person. Well, I guess that's going to be another reason why they sign up for Disney Plus, right? I mean, yeah, it has the uh, Disney Plus um, 
Hulu and ESPN Plus. Hulu and ESPN Plus like eleven ninety nine or I think thirteen ninety nine, uh, which is a great bundle. Um, however, with the Hulu portion, you don't get commercial free, but it's still a good bundle hmm. um, overall. And um, that show in particular, um, we're like six episodes in, and they still haven't even become Wu Tang yet, and that tells you how much background that they're that they're going towards. So. Yeah, one of my favorite shows. At some point this year, I was telling Jazz that um, I think it's better than Power um, hmm. at some point. Now, Power has since then had some phenomenal episodes, so it's kind of starting to get his thunder back. But um, it just tells you how, how great, great, how well done um, that show is. Very well thought out, like you said. Yeah, very, very well thought out. Um so that's one I'm watching this fall. Uh, what else am I watching this fall? I guess it's the, the stuff on Disney Plus I'm also looking forward to. Right. When that that comes out. And, and, Are you getting it early in November? I'm getting in November. Uh, first show, uh, the Winter Soldier show. and Well, The Mandalorian is the first show, which I'll be watching. And then the first <clears> Marvel <throat> show will be the, uh, the, Fal- the Falcon, right? Falcon Winter Soldier show. With the Cap Shield. Yeah, speaking of Marvel, um, I guess did you hear Spider-Man's back in the MCU? I didn't think he was actually going to leave. Okay. To be honest. And he left. But he then came back, right? Right. <laughs> I, I think, I, you know, publicity sense. Oh, okay. personally. Because business-wise, it, it didn't make any sense. And we've we seen that Sony doesn't really do good Spider-Man films outside of the MCU. I don't agree with that. Well, again, remember Sony made my favorite Spider-Man, which was the Tobey Maguire one. So I, I do love that film, but in terms of incorporating a story, I don't think it's better than how they did with Marvel. I think, um, okay, so me personally, I think the best two Spider-Man films of all time are Spider-Man 2, Tobey Maguire, and then Into the Spider-Verse, which was the animated one with the uh, Miles Morales character. They both were made by Sony. So, in my opinion, though I think the Marvel uh, Spider-Man movies were very, very good um, and better than the amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield, mm-hmm. way better than those, I still think the best two Spider-Men were made by Sony, in my opinion. That's fair. Um, and overall, I mean, yes, this Spider-Man crossed a billion dollars most recently, but Sony hasn't made a Spider-Man movie that made less than seven hundred million, so it's not like they're making nothing, you know, going on. So it could have went either way. I'm happy he's back. I do, you know, like the idea of crossing him over with the other Marvel characters. I mean, they're part of the same comic book universe, so they should be together. I'm happy he's back, but I don't feel like I'm. Mean, I feel like Disney was wrong in the deal, me personally. But I'm happy that they worked things out. Interesting. Um, and recently, speaking of Marvel once again, um, did you hear Martin Scorsese's comments recently? No. No? So, what, what did Marty say? So Marty, <laughs> uh, who's Marty Scorsese, um, uh, he recently was asked about the comic book genre, comic book films, and I'm guessing because of the success of Joker. Which is ironic because he's the one who brought Todd Phillips into the studio to pitch Joker. Uh, but but nevertheless, he 
was asked about the comic book films, and he says he doesn't consider them cinema and never watches them. And to him, they're just kind of a bubbly pop thing, but they're not real actual movies. Even though Joker might break that mold. Win Best Picture and Best Director, Best This is one of the only rated R movies out of that genre. Well, Deadpool. So. But that, that's like an actual serious film. Right. Yeah. Right. Deadpool, you know, it's a comic relief, you know. The joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture, if you were to go back. But for me, in terms of comic book, I would say Dark Knight took it to that level. Dark Knight, I was going to say, and Dark Knight Rises, even though Dark Knight was much better, took it to that level. I thought Winter Soldier was kind of a spy thriller mixed with a comic book movie. And some of the other ones I thought were not just like um, use your powers, laser rifles, bang, bang. They were very in-depth storytelling. So in this case, I don't think Marty's right. What do you think? I mean, from his school of thought in terms of film, I can see exactly why he would say that. And if you look at comic book movies as a whole, it's, I feel like it's only on your hand you can count the films that don't do that, that don't apply to that. So uh, there are exceptions to the rule, but the rule still holds. So that, that And he's a much more expert in terms of film than we are, having and creating, you know, a couple, couple of classics. Of course. Marty. I just don't think his opinion really applies to the masses because he's speaking on a movie junkie cinematic the views the sound the aspect of the whole the whole picture where somebody who's going to see a marvel movie they're just going to enjoy because it's just their superheroes that are playing and they're not really looking at all those aspects you just want to know a good storyline um and really identify with your childhood or current dreams of this is what you want to watch and just want to make sure they depict it in the right manner. You're not really looking at all the extra stuff that a critic would look at. So I feel like when he makes those comments, I mean, I guess what he's saying is right, but who cares? Because most people who see these movies, they don't care about all that. They just care about their heroes. I agree with you. I mean, um, James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, and soon to be a Suicide Squad. Mm. He wasn't very happy with Marty's comments, and I which mean, makes sense. You know, you are coming at the things I do. Yeah, <laughs> and Marty's one of his heroes, uh, Martin Scorsese, and he felt you know upset a little, kind of like I'm upset. My one of my heroes won't watch any of my movies because these are movies that he's making right now. And then of course Samuel Jackson, he kind of came <laughs> back at Martin. You what, know? He, what he said? So he said that. Um, and, and you know what? It, it's funny because he, he, for him, he took kind of a higher rule, but it really wasn't a higher rule. So he said he doesn't agree, and he said, "How dare he say that?" A lot of people don't like all his stuff, and he said, "If you look back, a lot of Italian Americans feel like the way they're portrayed in his films is not a hundred percent accurate and stereotypical." So he feels like that he has, you know, his own problems with his own films to talk about a whole other genre. And he's right. A lot of Italian-Americans feel like we're not all mobsters, we're not all gangsters, 
And, you know, I feel like we should be portrayed like this in all your films. So he is right about that. That's fair. I guess that's probably the main reason why I stopped watching Power. Because it seemed more of the, the stereotypes. Especially with people who know better. I don't feel like... Do you watch Power? Yeah, I do. I don't feel like the stereotypes are there because what we know and people who've lived or been in certain areas, what we've typically seen as a guy who's selling drugs and um, in the streets, it's not what power present. They present a guy who owns several nightclubs who's trying to get out the game. Right, who's making the transition, but he's getting pulled back in. And I feel like we've heard that story before on multiple albums and multiple movies. Okay, so you feel like we've seen it in on on screen, and, but not in and, real life. And and you know, music wise as well. That that theme is always there. But I don't think it's stereotypical to do you think it's stereotypical to black people or just you think it's just uh overused? Overused. Okay. Because I feel like we have more dimensions to ourselves. So when I saw some a character like Ghost trying to get out of that, then I was intrigued. I was like, okay, where are we about to go? And then he keeps getting pulled back. Especially when we have a lot of plot devices that keep him in these parameters. And that's the writing. Right. At the end of the day, that's a conscious decision. The studio and the creators and the director agreeing like that. So they're like, okay, yeah, let's keep it in this box. And I'm just like, why put us in the box? That's that's just me. Okay, so you started watching with um, maybe some hopes that he would get out. Let's see what he can do as a businessman or a club owner or, or go from there. Mm-hmm. And I thought we would stay in his box for six, seven seasons. Man. And then what do we see? Oh, he's a married man, but he's cheating. So then we have the whole movement of, oh, black men cheat and all that. And I just feel like <laughs> it's driving the narrative of culture. Yeah. It didn't help having him cheat with a girl who's Spanish, right? Right. <laughs> Outside of the tribe, I mean, you know. Right, right, right. And right, as someone right. who does, you know, date people, it doesn't matter what they look like. I understand that that they animosity. Didn't see Tommy doing anything, right? <laughs> and is it me, or do all these characters remind you of actual hip hop stars? So Tommy reminds me of Eminem because I feel like his whole character is designed off of Marshall Mathers, and Angie's designed off of J Lo. And Ghost is designed off of 50. But that's just, that's just how I saw it. Well, Ghost is purposely designed off 50. It's actually... It's 50 actually, was supposed to play Ghost. It's actually a take on 50 and Courtney Kemp, the creator, her dad. He's a mix of both of them. So that, hmm. that was purposely done. But the other two, I guess I can see too, you know. I mean, especially visually. They visually look like these people. If you were to have someone like... Obviously, Angie doesn't really have the body of J-Lo, no. the, the lady who plays her. But, like, facially-wise, right. and the guy who plays Tommy as well, they just remind me of those artists specifically. And the 50 is that clever that he would get someone who looks like them just to get you intrigued. It's 50. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I don't see where you're coming from. It, it, it has ups and downs with me. In the beginning of this year, I was like, it's time to end it. I felt like there was a lot of overacting going on in Power. Interesting. Yeah, I just felt like they've... Um, have played these roles now for so many years, and I felt like that, like Tommy, for example, and I've seen Tommy on other shows now, and he plays this role very, very well, because if you ever talk to or listen to Joseph Secor outside of playing Tommy, he doesn't sound like Tommy. Right. So, 
he plays it well, but then this season, I feel like he was like overdoing it, like too street, you know? Did, times. did you like him in Jack Reacher? I thought he was okay in Jack Reacher, but in Banshee. Oh, he's on that show. Well, he got like three episodes, like a little cameo all right. and stuff like that. But, you know, Jazz was Banshee. Got all the action, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, did you see Banshee? I haven't seen it. I, I've always heard Jazz talk right, about Right, right. <laughs> Everybody looks like Banshee. But, um, he got me in, though. He got me in one day uh, after months of hearing about it. He got me in. Banshee's a really good show. I only heard about Banshee as like a as ads before Skinamax. That, that's all I heard about it. That's the problem with Banshee, and and I don't know what it is, but the fake sex scenes just don't intrigue me, and it kind of you know takes away from the show a little bit to me hmm. because it did unnecessary. We don't need them. If the show was on ABC by itself without these scenes, it would still be a good show. But when you try to make these uh. You know, Skinamax has these, like, not regular sex things. They want to be, like, actual fake sex. And it's just not, you know, just unnecessary. But it's a good show. Anyway, Tommy's on there, though. And he actually plays um, a uh, a racist, of all things, right? He's a huge racist, like, Aryan Nation, skinhead racist. I mean, that was kind of his role in, not racist, but just in terms of that to me, that profile in and Jack, Jack Reacher. Right. Even though in Power, he's grew up with all black people. And, you know, that's what he like. Just, just like Eminem. Just like him. Okay. <laughs> like Eminem. So, to see him play that was like, you know, wow. But he played it pretty smooth. Like, it seemed comfortable. I'm not saying he's a racist at all. Right. I'm sure he's not. But he seemed comfortable in that space. As well as Jack Reacher. But again, going back to this season of Power, I felt like he was overacting a little bit. And then Lala, I mean, she's just horrible. She's been horrible since the beginning. Oh, that's interesting. Why interesting? I I think with Lala, um, it's like two things. Like One, you can be proud of her, off in the sense of like, well, you know, she's been grinding a long time. I remember her on TRL. Mm-hmm. And she was a DJ and all that. And then she was known as Kamala Anthony's wife and mm-hmm. all that. And now she's trying to be taken more seriously when it comes to acting. But then I look at the typical cliche where you got to have like a big butt and a big breast and you got to have surgery. And then one season you see Lala with one body and the next season you see something else. Wait, really? Yeah. If you That's look nice. at the new season, like her butt looks way bigger. I don't know what it is. That's facts. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the camera angles, but it just it looks obnoxiously big and just like, is this even really necessary? I don't think so. Um, but I, like when it comes to her acting and all that, I think she's cool. I think her personality fits the character. I don't know if the acting is like the greatest ever, but I just think her personality fits the character, but how she acts within the character doesn't... Um, really do that particular character justice. I think it's really more of a favor as her playing that particular character. I think there could be someone else that could probably do a much better job. And you can kind of see it in some scenes how she responds to certain certain antics. And you look at her cadence and how she speaks. It just doesn't really flow right. 
I feel like it's like more of like a forced thing, or she's really trying. Like it's like kind of like, damn, I feel bad. But it's kind of like Keisha Cole oh. when she was like singing at the BT Awards and she's considered a singer, but she's not really good without the machines, right? And the vocal support and all that. And then, but she's still pushing to be like this respected singer, like she's Whitney Houston, but she's not, you know. And um, I think when you see stuff like that on the show, it kind of deters you from not wanting to watch it if you're not really fully invested, or if you don't like Fifty Cent in that sense. It can kind of like tell you, like, you know what, I don't like this show; it's not good. And I think stuff like that can really, you know, hinder you from really wanting to watch the show in that sense. Other than the writing and the storyline, and then what the action and how Power has this thing where they slowly build up their shows. And then it could be it could be really really boring in the beginning, and then towards the end it gets like more and more enticing for you to want to watch the show, which is usually a typical thing they do every season. Cliffhangers, yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. I I couldn't agree more on Lala. I'm not even going to say anything else about that because I agree one hundred percent about Lala. Um, and I agree with the other aspect. If I wasn't six seasons deep. And I just turned on the show. I don't know if I would continue to watch it sometimes because of the writing and some of the acting has gone on. But I'm a person who has to finish what I start. Um, So I just continue to watch, you know. I mean, statistically, it was the second biggest show after Game of Thrones. Do you think it deserves that title? I mean, it was statistically that because of the black dollar, power of black dollar, black Twitter, black... uh, people we communicate we talk amongst each other and we get other people to watch what we watch i don't know if it if i were to look at it as a show just in its own space personally i think narcos is a really good show right that's a better show right so i don't think power in its own space is second to game of thrones like it's not even close i just think it's just when if you do it from a marketing aspect you can say that just of what 50 Cent has done in right. regards to just like basically forcing people or making it, maybe I don't even say force, that's still such a strong word, making it cool as if it's just something that you should do. Right. People um, have uh, forums going on, a lot of shows on, you know, there's so many power reviews on YouTube and they talk about it on social media. So it's like the cool thing right. to all watch power. But someone like me or you or John, um, who will look at all aspects of a show, it's, it's only okay. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm more excited for his other projects, like you know, especially the the storyline with um, I don't remember uh, the cat's name, but with the lawyer who was wrongly con- convicted and how he beat um, I think he, what is he sued Newark police or something like that okay. over over the conviction. Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting story. And whenever this BMF series actually gets to clearance, I think if it's done correctly, I think that will be something worth watching. If they do it correctly, this based off of what BMF has done in Atlanta and their backstory from Detroit and how I know he's done in certain interviews where he explained that um, he wanted to show the humbleness of how they started. And as opposed to going from the the glitz and the glamour of how they were, they you know kind of like Wu Tang. Yeah, basically they want to. Basically, he's just working on a formula of what the American people will 
tend to cling on because if you start a story or or a news story or whatever and you show the background as opposed to like okay these are just regular people they're just like us and when they eventually make it you have an idea of like okay i can feel like i'm just like you because you had the same struggle as me i suppose to going from the be- the end where they had all this money they're in rappers videos they had cars they had tanks they had secrets all these secrets all these people want to be around them they were very flashy where that can kind of turn you off but if you can see the humble beginnings of what how they started um what they did in detroit the dream that they decided where they wanted a completely different life that's more attractive to the common eye as opposed to starting and you know i have all this money i'm better than you now you feel like i'm just like you i agree what do you watch josh I actually don't get to watch a lot of television, mostly okay. because, you know, just trying to create content. Right. So it's just making that conscious decision, like, okay, like, we, this is how we're, we're picking apart what we see in terms of weaknesses in the content. So I'm just like, okay, fill in those weaknesses and you have your own lane. Because that's the essence of competition in the capitalist economy. I mean, would you have Burger King if there was no McDonald's? No. And would you have Taco Bell if there weren't Wendy's and McDonald's and Burger King? No. And just like recently, Burger King has the, uh, the possible Whopper, Whopper, right? The uh, the vegan Whopper. Beyond Meat Burger, right? Right. And McDonald's is coming out with a, a vegan burger. Now I'm curious to see if this is going to help these companies who are in their maturity, in mature, uh, maturity business-wise. So the maturity in business means you're really out of ideas, so you're just trying to use your platform because uh essentially they have a, a massive distribution network so that's really what's keeping them relevant so i'm curious to see if adding new things that didn't make them popular is going to either help them prolong or actually be the beginning of the end i don't think either one will ever will ever ever end um but i agree with you too they're constantly trying new ideas like that's that taco the Burger king that was the stupidest thing i ever heard in my life um, that they did, but I guess they have to constantly try new things, like you said. And the funny thing about the Burger King taco, I was talking about this the other day with a friend of mine, is they have this this horrible trash taco. But if you look, normally there's a Taco Bell within like a mile radius of a Burger King. So why would I go to Burger King for a taco? <laughs> taco Bell like so much closer. Yeah, it, it never makes any 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 sense. To me. Now, if the taco for whatever reason had, I guess, meat that tasted like a grilled burger. That could be interesting. Right. But I, apparently that's not what it was. No, it's just like a, a bad taco. I mean, I'd actually eat it. I heard about it, but it's just like bad taco meat on a taco. But if you like, even at like by the AMC movie theater right on Sloan, there's literally a Burger King and a Taco Bell next to each other. Also, are you a rewards member for AMC? No. Um. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I am a, um, so I am a... A, uh, I do have a Stubbs car at AMC. I've had it for years. AMC uh, was my very first job. I was 14 years old. So I've been going to AMC for a very long time. You worked at that one on Sloan? I worked at the one on Sloan. I, I was okay. there for opening weekend. It was, they played the Phantom Menace that weekend. I, I remember. Also, did you hear that Kevin Feige will be doing a Star Wars film? I'm very excited about that. I did not get to that. So I live near the Regal Theater on... Um, here 
and um, I can walk there. Like I'm, I'm that close. So I got the Regal Unlimited uh, reward, where it's $18 a month, and I get to see any movie, anytime I want, um, any type of way. 3D, RPX, whatever. It's 18 bucks a month, and two movies. It's already paid for itself in a month. So it's becoming very beneficial to me. The other day I walked in to see Joker. I, had, I showed him my phone, and I walked right in. That was a beautiful thing. So that's like unlimited movies or just like a cap? No, there's literally unlimited movies. So it's better than AMC because I believe you only get, you get 12 for AMC. You right. only do three a week. So right. They, they cap you twice. Right. <laughs> really AMC. So Regal, it's just like, it's a free-for-all. You can see as many movies as you want. As many as you want. Okay. I feel like there's an up and a down because I, you know, I, I've always thought about doing that because I, I myself, I don't watch that much TV. But, you know, if there's a good movie, I would want to go see it. But then... It's just like, what do you do during the drier months where there's like literally nothing to watch? Exactly. And that does happen every year where there's like a good two to three months until something actually good happen comes out. Like a blockbuster in the summer. Right. And then there's usually those dead months where there's like nothing going on. It's like, some, you know, some indie movies and there's like some, you know, some kid movies that may come out and some other stuff like a typical romance and maybe a horror flick, but it's not as good. So I thought about this in depth because it took me months to figure out which one I wanted to get. Right. That's how I think. And at one point, <laughs> uh, I thought, what if I get the AMC? This is before the Regal package was right. out, right? So I was like, what if I get the AMC package, but I target it to where I only have it for the most popular months, and then I cancel it mm-hmm. right after that, and what I get my money's worth, right? So I was trying to, like, time it up and, you know, sync it. I, I overthink stuff sometimes. Um, but inevitably, I started thinking about the Regal. And because the convenience of me being so close, mm-hmm. um, it, it made sense to me. And what you're saying makes sense as well. But I was thinking there's a bunch of, like, um, not bad movies, not the most anticipated movie, but, like, Middle of the road movies mm-hmm. that I I might look at a trailer and say it looks interesting, but I might not want to normally uh, say I'll go sit in the theater with it or spend the money to go see it. With the unlimited pass, I'll say, why not? Mm-hmm. I get it for free anyway. So I think at the end of the day, between the great movies, highly anticipated movies, and the movies that are like middle of the pack, it'll more than pay for itself. And that's how I look at it. So, I did see Joker. Um, and it was phenomenal. I told, you know, the other day. Not something for jazz. So, you have similar tastes in movies to jazz. It's not a movie for you. You're expecting action, let's say. If you were expecting an action ride, it's not for you. Um, it's a masterpiece. It's incredible. It's a character piece. It gets better and better throughout the movie. Um, it... Um, the score is awesome. Um, just Joaquin Phoenix, his acting, he's in every frame of the movie, by the way. Um, it, it, it's phenomenal. Um, some of the side characters, like Zazzy Beats, or um, uh, I think it's uh, Brian uh, Tyler Henry, they're in the movie, but you don't see him as much. Because uh, again, he's in every frame. Even Robert De Niro is not as much as uh, Joaquin, of course. But he just played the role and it wasn't really about how he played Joker, but more about how he played Arthur Fleck. 
Because he didn't become Joker until the very end. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Why? The movie just came out. I'm sorry. Dream killer. I mean, it's obvious though, right? So. Well, it is an origin story. Right. (laughs) However, I'm just ended to say, I thought it was a masterpiece, but if you are looking for action, it's not the movie for you. Simple as that. Now, uh, on to uh, Star Wars. You were talking about uh, Benny Elf and Weiss, the game and something like that? Or... No, no, you're talking about... Uh, Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige is going to produce a Star Wars movie. Um, it's funny because we all know Kevin Feige as Mr. Marvel, basically. He could be Captain Marvel, right? Because that's all he is, Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. What we don't know is that Kevin Feige's dream has always been to produce or direct or do something with Star Wars. He's a much bigger Star Wars fan than a Marvel fan. Is that so? Right. Well, then he should have been in charge of this recent trilogy if that was the case. Well, the recent trilogy was uh, started its production when Disney bought Lucasfilm before they bought Marvel. So they already had their plans in place for that. And plus, Feige was pretty busy with Marvel, right? They did 23 movies in the Infinity Saga. But he's the guy who grew up with all the Star Wars toys. He could name all the characters. He was a much bigger Star Wars fan than um, than Marvel fans. So hopefully that means he'll do a good job producing it. But then they got like several... I mean, they're going to finish off Episode Nine coming up uh, with J.J. Abrams. And uh, which is in the Skywalker saga, but then I got a trilogy supposed to be done with um, the Game of Thrones guys, right? Benny Off and Weiss, yeah. So hopefully, they don't mail it in like the last season of Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> hopefully, not. And then there was Ryan Johnson who was supposed to do his own trilogy, but I don't know if that's gonna happen after or not. The Last Jedi. I don't think that's gonna happen to be honest, yeah. So Maybe it's Feige producing the Benioff and Weiss trilogy. Now, if that's if that's the team, I I support that team. That right. would be like the Avengers for <laughs> for the Star Wars movie. I like that. So we'll see about that. But what are your um? I guess what do you want to happen or kind of expectations for Episode Nine coming up? So. I'm sure J.J. Abrams knows this. When George Lucas first set out for this Skywalker saga, there was always supposed to be nine movies. And George Lucas admitted he would never be able to finish it, which is another reason why he sold it to Disney, so that they could have, because they had the resources to finish it. So with that in mind, J.J. went out consciously to tie in every single Easter egg possible to put it in this final movie. So I feel feel like this is going to be a last curtain call on what made, you know, sci-fi to the next level. Because obviously you had Star Trek, my mom's a Trekkie, but then Star Wars just took it to a a different level. Kind of like when Michael Jordan came into the NBA and he started started talking about things like global brands, Mike took it to a different level. That makes sense. So I guess... uh... Do you believe in uh, Ray's parentage that they were just like junkyard dealers and they were? Oh no, they they would have to be either related to Palpatine or more accurately Obi Wan for me personally, especially with the British accent. This makes more sense. Okay, so you don't believe what she was told in the last movie? No. 
Okay. What is your theory on Palpatine? How is he back? Force ghosts. So as we saw, there's no more canon since Disney bought Star Wars, and now there's uh, Legends. Right. So Rebels is not canon anymore, right? Right. Right. But in this new Star Wars cinematic universe, let's say, uh, there are such things as Force ghosts that can interact more so than Obi-Wan did in the first movie. So, oh, okay, so that's how you think he's back, the Force Ghost. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I can even see bringing uh, Anakin Skywalker, so uh, Hayden... Christensen. Christensen, yeah. And he was seen at the at the compound multiple times, so he's definitely going to have some scenes in the movie for sure. So is this your most anticipated movie of the year? It is, for sure. I mean, besides Endgame. Right. And that kind of, you know. So did you see this trailer with the evil Ray, uh, supposedly, or oh, with the her, double lightsaber with her Darth Maul saber? Right. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> you don't believe it. I. It looks a lot like the vision. Okay. Because you could tell by usually in those visions, everything is like perfect. Right, right, right. right so right. that's what exactly look like, and just like how the visions were in the Last Jedi, it looks exactly the same. Okay, so you're not sure if she's actually evil or not. You're just kind of like, we'll see. And they did that with the marketing on the poster as well. They did, yeah. Same thing with Luke. And, you know, it's just... That's just trying to mislead you. But that that's what they do. That's that's part of the fan... That's part of the fandom. Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that was another trailer before it comes out, I guess. Maybe a couple months. So, in, in December. Um, I'm anticipating a movie, too. I think it would be great. A funny thing is that... Um, I don't know. That left you out. Are you a Star Wars fan? Or? No. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, sorry about that, John. You, you know what you're missing out on, bro. Go back and watch it, man. You like a lot of good seven, uh, cinema. You'll love it. I mean, I have nothing against it, but it's just too much out for me to keep up, at least for now. Okay. Until, until I become a millionaire, maybe I'll No, it's true. I mean, nine movies at over two and a half hours each, that's that's a lot of life, Mike. Unless you, if you're already, if you're interested, if it's like a, a lightsaber calling you to watch it, watch it. But if there's not, you know. I told you about me, right? Well, not necessarily. But I, I had not seen any Star Wars Oh, right, movies. and then you. Uh... I've been six in a row on a weekend. Right. And then I was ready for these, you know, three that came out recently, so. That's how I did it, but I'm different than everyone else, obviously. Um, it's funny because uh, that'll be Disney's last movie of the year, and I'll take any bet it'll be their, I guess, eighth billion-dollar film of the year, which is an incredible feat for any movie Wait, studio. eight? What are the other ones besides Endgame? Well, well Captain Marvel made a billion dollars. Did it really? Yes. <laughs> yes, Captain Marvel made a billion dollars. <laughs> Look at your face. You can see his face right now. But I mean, we've seen billion dollar movies like Avatar or Titanic or you know, Whatever two billion, but yeah. Dark Knight, these Terminator. Yeah. Captain Marvel is not in that category. Even with this inflated money and just inflated movie Marvel money is is not a billion dollar movie. Well, Captain Marvel was a uh, billion dollars worldwide. Didn't do that great domestically, but made a billion dollars worldwide. Right, we're talking about the worldwide dollars. So, Captain Marvel, um, Endgame, Lion King, mm. um, Aladdin, Aladdin. Wow. Um, these are all all billion dollar films from Disney. Spider Man, uh, for uh, Homecoming. 
Uh, far from home. I'm sorry. Uh, that's five. What am I missing? Oh, it hasn't come out yet. Frozen will make a billion dollars. Easy. Um, guaranteed. Um, that'll make a billion dollars. And that's six. And I guess seven. So seven will make for Star Wars. Wow. Will be. And, like, no studios ever have more than, like, two. So it's like Disney is literally taking over the world, not to mention Disney Plus streaming surface. Which is interesting because, you know, we don't see it, but Disney is slowly just taking over everything, you know. Well, they've, they've always had that control. It's just they're extending more of it. They make smart financial decisions with, with buying Lucasfilms, right, and buying... Marvel Studios. So they're leveraging brands. It makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. You're acquiring assets and then you're adding value to that asset. It's, it's, it's huge, smart business-wise. But then you own all the different film genres, right? So now you own all the actors. You own all the directors. You own, you own it all, right? So it's like... Absolutely. And now you can actually see where they're going in terms of Disney Plus and how the shows will interact with the movies, especially in, in Marvel. But mm-hmm. you can also see a lot more crossover of the remaining Avengers. So I can see a lot of, you can, you can have a lot of cameos of of uh, superheroes. So even movies like Thor's movie or the next Black Panther movie, I can see Thor randomly showing up and assisting someone in their own solo movie. And you just met, reminded me of something, and for you too. You, we were talking about upcoming shows I'm anticipating. This show is already on. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm really anticipating it. And it's the Godfather of Harlem. Oh, okay. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. It's on Epics. Um, and it um, tells the story of... Uh, what was it? Nicky Barnes, Frank Lucas? Or... Is it Frank Lucas? Nicky... No, it's not Frank Lucas. I think it's Nicky Barnes. Nicky Barnes. It's not Nicky Barnes. No, it's not Nicky Barnes. But uh, John, John's looking it up. But it's when he um, got out of jail. Because he was already very, very high stature in Harlem. Did 11 years in prison. And then came back and he's trying to get his spot back. That's why it's called Godfather Harlem. But things have changed now. And The, the young boys are the old heads. Now. Young Bumpy boys Johnson. Are, what's that? Bumpy Johnson. Bumpy Johnson. OG Bobby Johnson. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Bumpy Johnson. The other major player. Frank Lucas, is, uh, who was, Frank Lucas was Bumpy Johnson's driver, right? So it was before Frank Lucas. Bumpy, okay, yeah. All right. So it tells the story of Bumpy Johnson. Cast looks phenomenal. Forrest Whitaker, come on. I mean, he's Forrest Whitaker. So, Epics. Epics is like five bucks a month I heard streaming. So, I literally would get that just to watch the show. Like, But I'll probably wait till it's like done so I can binge it five bucks and then stop, you know, after that because Epics. But that's probably one of the most anticipated films. And speaking of Nikki Barnes, Will Smith has signed on to play Nikki Barnes in an upcoming Netflix series. Really? Right. Yeah, I saw that. Which wow. I think would be... I don't know how... I, don't, I think it would be interesting to see Will Smith play a character like that, especially with his recent roles. You haven't really seen him do anything like that. Right. He's played uh, a genie for Netflix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Mike Lowry. And Mike Lowry coming on Bad Boys 3. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing about this show is it's called The Council. So it's not just about Nikki Barnes, it's about the council, which was the seven gentlemen, including Nikki Barnes, who ran um, Harlem at that time. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Even though it's focused, you know, primarily on Nikki, 
but it's about every member of it. So I think that'll be a really, really uh, good show uh, that's coming out. So that's it for me. It's what I'm watching, what I'm interested in. Next movies I'll see. Next movie I'll go see on my limited pass will be... Um, <laughs> Talk that. <laughs> the next uh, Will Smith movie, the one that's out now. Uh, Gemini. Man. Gemini Man. Uh, heard good reviews about that and the, um, the aging technology. Um, that they have in there. So I'll be seeing that and giving you a review of that next time I'm on. That was created by Marvel, by the way. Well, Disney owns that technology because they bought Lucasfilms who owned that technology. There we go. Disney Monopoly. There we go. Any other takes or any other thoughts, gentlemen? Well, I would say next time we're probably going to dive into John's brilliant question. So it actually give a great send off and for, you know, our listeners, great food for thought mm-hmm. when it comes to dating someone from the guy's perspective, because it's the barbershop talk. So we're talking like, like the boys, the fellas are around. All right. How is it dating someone who is in the industry, someone famous? Because you had that, that brilliant question. <laughs> well. We'll end it with that, and that'll be a topic we we jump into next time. Uh, thank you once again for listening to the podcast, the uh, a new you radio, a new you radio uh, podcast featuring dating, uh, pop culture, and sports. Yes, and this was the inaugural podcast, so thank you for joining us, John, Mike. Appreciate you guys making the time to have some fun. Anytime. I never do this. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.